Welcome to the Conversations with Jesus podcast. I'm Johnny Lehman, a baptized man of God who has the amazing blessings of being a husband, father, and the pastor at Divine Savior Church in West Palm Beach, Florida. This podcast is designed to bring you the self-sacrificing love of Jesus found in the Bible through 15 to 20 minute episodes that focus on relevant life issues and what God has to say about them. Check out our website, DivineSaviorChurch.com, as well as our Facebook and Instagram pages if you'd like to find out more about the incredible things that God is doing through our church family. Hey everybody, it is such a blessing to be back with you here in 2024 as we look with anticipation over what our God will do, the plans he has for us that are beyond understanding. And to kick things off this year, we're going to start a new series called Race to the Cross. And over the next couple of months, we're going to see, especially from the Gospel of Mark, Jesus' determination to save. So the Jesus that Mark reveals to us in his biography is a man on the move. There's no lengthy backstory in Mark's gospel. The author doesn't even focus on his birth story. Instead, in Mark's gospel, we see Jesus like we would watching an action movie hero. We'll discover his identity as we watch him go and do miracles. The mercy he has. People are amazed. There's never been anyone like this before. Because Jesus is on a mission. His mission is nothing short of saving the world. But to get to the finish line, there is one inescapable place where Jesus must go in order to complete his mission. He has to go to the cross, and he is determined to get there. So we're going to try to keep up with Jesus on his race to the cross. We're going to be challenged to go there with him too, learning every step of the way what it means that a follower of Jesus must be prepared to also carry their own cross or else forfeit their soul. And so we're going to go through this amazing journey through the book of Mark, and we're going to start by looking at the starting line. Now again, this is the race to the cross, so like every race, we have to have a start. So you can imagine, you know, the people in the race, as they prepare, they step up to the line. The competitors already have their minds and hearts on the finish line. They take their mark. There's that eerie silence until the gun cracks and muscles instantly respond with action. So like every race, there has to be a start. And for Jesus, his start began in time and history as God declared he would be the Savior. He would send a Savior. And so the preparations have been made, and now Mark describes how Jesus began his race, pulling us into it. And so let's go to the starting line and see again the beginning of Jesus running to the cross for us. The verses we're going to be looking at closely this week is Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 20. The beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, as is written in Isaiah the prophet. I will send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John wore clothing made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. And this was his message. After me comes the one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. 
that once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come follow me, Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. When he had gone a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John in a boat, preparing their nets. Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. This is God's word. Back in middle school or high school, did you ever have the opportunity to run track? Now, if you have, or if you haven't, what would you say would be the most nerve-wracking thing about running track? Maybe it would be the nerves over people watching you, or setting a new PR, the nerves of trying to do that, or not finishing last. Back in my brief track days, my number one fear was always one thing, the starting gun. I always knew it was coming, but I literally would shake before every race. And it made me feel like the ultimate wimp for feeling this way. Until a few years ago, when I came across a quote filmmaker Alfred Hitchcock gave in an interview once, he said, there's no terror in the bang, only in the anticipation of it. See, I was so nervous about how startling that gun would be, but without fail, it instantly got me in gear to run. Now, as we start this journey, this race of the cross with Mark, we're going to experience a very similar startling concept. As we see Jesus running the race of the cross, so much of what he's going to say and do will startle us. We simply won't be able to stand still or be static. The very idea of repentance, so central to the Christian faith, revolves around the truth that we cannot live a stationary life. The only way To run the race of life comes down to one person, the one and only Son of God, Jesus, the Messiah. Now, this exclusive idea is one we don't necessarily prefer in our culture, and maybe you've noticed that. I've heard it firsthand, especially through conversations with several friends of mine who are in the AA program. Now, one guy recently asked me point blank, you're seriously telling me that Jesus is the only higher power that saves Now, of course, it's not me who says that. It's Jesus himself. He doesn't shy away from that. Christianity, in its essence, is good news, right? Which makes it so different than any other religion or higher power. Because any other religion or higher power would say, this is how you have to live your life to connect to God forever. This is how you must live to earn the way to God. Good news is a declaration saying, this is what God has done for you. Now you need to do for God. And that's exactly why Mark intentionally begins his gospel with these words. The beginning of what? The good news. Now what is he saying? What he's saying is, what you're about to read is entirely different from any other life advice, religion, or philosophy you've ever heard. And so Mark, to do that, he places us on the racetrack with Jesus. Now, quick context side note. Mark was not one of Jesus' 12 disciples, but he followed Jesus closely in his life, and his gospel almost certainly comes from him interviewing the disciple Peter. 
So the goal of Mark's gospel is to show that Christianity is no mere static endeavor, an idea to be pondered while we sit in our living room sipping coffee. Christianity will always be radical. Like the starting gun, it's startling. You simply cannot stay the same when faith is created in your heart through this good news. And that's why we're going to see more actions of Jesus than words in Mark's gospel. We're going to be pulled into the scene with words like immediately and suddenly. Mark, putting Peter's perspective of these scenes into words, puts you face to face with Jesus and who he is. And when we face him, when we're face to face with our Savior, we simply can't stay static. But let's be real with ourselves. Isn't there something attractive about a stationary life? And here's what I mean. A stationary life is one where there's no surprises, no emotional roller coastering, nothing unexpected. Is there not something that's a little bit attractive about that? As I thought about that in my own life, I actually thought about a book that Ellie and Hallie have, my two daughters. It's a book of fables, and one of them, written by Arnold Lobel, is about a crocodile who refuses to leave his bedroom because he loves looking at the flower wallpaper. Now, his wife, she has this beautiful flower bed, and she eventually convinces him to get out of bed to see her real flower bed. And when he sees it, he can't see the beauty. He sees the tangles and the weeds, and he eventually chooses the lifeless, perfectly ordered wallpaper flowers over the real thing and he wastes away, never leaving his bed because he liked how everything was perfectly lined up. Everything was just as it should be. And you know what the moral of the story is? Here's the moral. Without a doubt, there is such a thing as too much order. Now, of course, it's a silly example. But do you and I not find ourselves in such a static self-absorption at times? Now, we tend to gravitate toward the predictable the safe, the creation of faux comfort. And so we stay on the starting line of life. And instead of running the race of the Christian life, one that Augustine called the greatest adventure, we spend more time mentally asking and answering questions like, how am I feeling right now? How am I doing? How are people treating me? Am I proving myself? Do you see how through such questions you're not moving? You and I, we're stuck in nothing, often, but a static, self-focused life, where you and I want the world to orbit around us, for life to be as we want it to be. Pastor Tim Keller put it this way, a self-centered life is a stationary life. It's static, not dynamic. Now, I see it so often in my own heart, and it it breaks my heart, to be honest with you. I I think more about the inconveniences I'm facing that don't seem fair. I think about what I think I deserve in life. And you know why I and you and every human being does this? Why we like being in that static state? It's because we fear something. In fact, we fear one thing when it comes to this. It's this word repentance. That's in fact the one word summary of John the Baptist's work. What does John say? He preached a baptism of repentance. Now, first things first, what does repent mean? It means to turn away from something or to reverse course. So in its essence, Christianity, as Martin Luther once said, is nothing but a life of constant repentance. In fact, that's his first of his 95 theses. Christianity, repentance, is experiencing continual sorrow over sin, trusting in Jesus' words that his work to save us is finished, right? And enjoy then, Desiring to live a changed life empowered solely by his grace. 
Now notice the movement, right? Christianity lovingly confronts our static self-absorption. And of course, our sinful nature doesn't like that. Why? Repentance means that we are woefully unqualified to run the race of life on our own. Repentance means that the starting line of every life experience must begin with God getting the priority. It's looking at God's perfect law with its many you shall nots and not responding with why God do I need to follow this or prove to me, God, the value of listening to you, but instead simply making Jesus the very passion of your life. In other words, to repent is not merely saying, you've good advice, God, I'll try to follow it. Because if that's all Christianity was, it would be nothing different than any other religion in the world. But the truth is, there are no multiple paths to God. There's only one person. Only Jesus, who himself is the path. Again, if Christianity were like any other higher power, we would live a statically burdened life. Maybe we'd feel inspired for a time, but just like the vast majority of New Year's resolutions, that inspiration would fade, and we'd face the reality that we cannot run this race alone. Without God, we are entirely confused about what life revolves around, and the pressure to prove ourselves would paralyze and immobilize us. But the world's only true religion and spirituality isn't about us earning our place with God. It's God himself running the race for us. This is the starting line of faith. This is gospel, a word that means good news. Specifically, the good news that all is accomplished. Jesus, the only Son of God, the only Messiah, the one whom God the Father declared at his baptism for all of human history to hear, you are my Son, whom I love, with you I am well pleased. Yes, Christianity is exclusive. It's exclusive in the sense that Jesus is the only way, but it's also the most inclusive religion. Because all have the same starting line. And his love is for all. You don't have to be in a certain caste. You don't have to become the most intelligent or the most beautiful or prove yourself worthy. The race of life does not begin with us sweating profusely. As we vainly stretch out, even just to graze the service of God, it begins and ends. Well, begins with God coming near to us in total selfless love. So how does Mark summarize the core of Jesus' preaching? If, if John's preaching was repentance, I'll notice a similar thread in Jesus' preaching. He says, the time has come. The kingdom of God, here's a beautiful phrase, has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So what is Jesus saying to you? He's saying, believe the good news that through baptism, you've been washed clean of every regret, every hurt you've ever caused, every sin. Believe that Jesus knows the very temptation you know is waiting for you tomorrow. The one that's waiting for you when this podcast is over. The one you feel like you're never going to overcome. The one you feel like you're stuck on the starting line. We'll see your Savior in the wilderness here in Mark 1, conquering Satan. And know that he and those same angels are there for you too in the battleground race of life. Repent and believe the good news means seeing the determination of the triune God who loves you with a love that has no beginning or no end. When you feel like a static outcast, unlovable, cast aside, unworthy, we'll see him approach you in the Lord's Supper and tell you that he's near you. He will always choose to associate with you. And when you see your status with him, the startling things of life don't immobilize you. Instead, you burst off the line because you know your Jesus will lead the way. And that's exactly what happened to Simon Peter and his brother Andrew. Two of Jesus' very first disciples. They were living a pretty static life. 
same routine of fishing day after day, when Jesus bursts into their life scene and calls them to do something startling, radical, shocking, especially for us, when you consider the individualistic culture we live in, Jesus says, come follow me and I will send you out to fish for people. Now, pause for a second and unpack what Jesus is saying to them. He's telling them, I want priority over your career. Knowing me, loving me, resembling me, serving me is now the supreme passion of your life. Everything else is but a distant second. And notice he doesn't explain to them how this new life of faith will turn out for them. If he did, it would defeat the entire starting line of the Christian faith, which is this. That God is not a means to an end. He is the end himself. The race of life can only be fulfilling even in loss and tragedy when Jesus is the reason you're all to bed in the morning. Your job, your parenting, your recreation, your retirement are at their most satisfying when Jesus is what it all orbits around. When Jesus is your reason to live, to run, to love, it's only then that we can truly revel in why the gospel is so meaningful. The Christian life is the only one where you never have to doubt if God loves you. His cross makes that more clear than any explanation or conversation. You never have to wonder if you belong to God. The baptismal font shouts it into your very heart. You never have to wonder if Jesus is enough. The empty tomb testifies to you every day. See, by faith, you have a certainty that leads you to burst off the starting line of every struggle and run and turn and run with reckless abandon with your Jesus who abandoned his life to give you one beyond words. And that's exactly how the disciples responded to the call they received from Jesus. What does Mark tell us? At once, at once, immediately, they left their nets and followed him. The good news of grace had given them a status they didn't have to earn through their careers, a significance they didn't have to gain from their children's achievements, a life that simply could not remain static. Martin Luther put it like this, Faith is a living, daring confidence in God's grace, so sure and certain that a person could stake his life on it a thousand times. I mean, just think about that. Is there anything more incredible? You were made for so much more than self-absorption. You were reborn by faith for self-forgetting, to be so caught up in the wonder of God's love personally and fully for you that no amount of anxiety over what 2024 could bring from elections to sickness to moving to financial struggles, none of that, none of it can dim the joy you have to run the race with Jesus. It's this race-running reality check that you and I need every single day. How easy it is to forget. Which is exactly why God gives us Christians to run this race with. And this past week, as I got to drink in the amazing gospel truths of these verses from Mark, I I couldn't help but think of one 87-year-old sister in the faith who pointed my eyes back back to Jesus once. I was sitting in her living room eating the delicious cookies she had baked when she was telling me, or she told me, a major part of her life story. She told me how she was once engaged to her high school sweetheart. For months, she had been planning a wedding, growing in excitement to the starting line of marriage and family when it all came crashing down. She didn't give me all the details, but it sounded like he broke it off. She didn't see it coming, and undoubtedly, the pull to remain in static sadness and frustration was strong. But she didn't speak of such things, which just shocked me. Instead, she talked about how Jesus continued to lead her that his love for her became everything, that she longed to always follow him and that she knew he would never stop loving her the most. And the same is so true for you. The starting line of your life, your day, every breath you're given, 
is the God who began his race to save you before the world began. Who became flesh and blood to give you the realest and most authentic of self-giving love. Who promises to run this race with you, carrying you and restoring you as you pursue him. Your Jesus, who is your joy, your life, and your all. Amen. Again, it is just a joy and privilege and honor to be back with you on the podcast in this new year. And I'm so excited for us as we continue this race to the cross in Mark to see our Savior Jesus, how his love for you is so full, so real, and always there. God's richest blessings this week and always as you live for him.